everyone. This is Justin Nackville again with the Road to Wealth podcast. Happy Sunday. Hopefully everyone's doing well today. And on today's episode, I have an opportunity to introduce and interview Travis Shelton from Meeting Over Money. He is a financial coach, a writer, as well as a speaker. He has his own successful podcast as well as YouTube channel and has created a budget course and investing course for young adults called Meeting Over Money. Travis has had a successful career in commercial real estate and left that, paid off over $200,000 in debt, um, and had the opportunity to create this company that helps young people with their money and really find purpose and intentionality with their lives and their money situation. And I was just very honored to have him on the podcast. Today, we actually break down the episode uh, with the question of, does money buy happiness? And we go through a variety of different topics. We talk through the behavioral science and relationship with money. We talk through a concept called the hedonic treadmill. And overall, going back to, does money buy happiness? And I love the way Travis talked through his his piece. He actually had a episode on his podcast, which I will include in the show notes, uh, that described it's not what you think around money and happiness. And he goes through his three pillars of work that matters, deep and meaningful relationships, as well as generosity. And these are the three anchors that he has and principles he has over meaning over money that really get us back to this whole concept of does money buy happiness. So again, I want to thank Travis for coming on the podcast today. And for those that are new to the podcast, thank you again for listening to the Road to Wealth podcast. Again, there's going to be an episode dropping every Sunday. And as well as you can engage with me on Twitter, on Instagram, I'll have all my handles down in the show notes. And without further ado, again, I want to thank Travis again for coming on. If you are enjoying the podcast, please feel free to leave a review as well as a rating on your podcast listener of choice. And again, Thank you again, Travis. I know this is probably the, the third time of thank you, but I uh, really do appreciate our conversation, and um, we'll just get right into it. Hello, everyone. This is Justin Nackville again with the Road to Wealth podcast, and I have Mr. Travis Shelton on the line. How are you doing, man? Good. Thanks so much for having me. I, I'm, it's a pleasure to be here. It's my honor. And uh, just a quick intro, Travis is a fellow Midwestern like me. Um, Grew up within the Chicagoland area and have a similar sports allegiances, I feel, um, especially on the basketball front, which uh, we, we discussed over online and um, as well as on uh, uh, the, the show prep. Uh, but he is the uh, owner and operator of Meaning Over Money. And, um, you know, Travis, I don't want to badger it. So if you want to give yourself a, a little bit of an intro, that, that, that would help my, uh, my listeners. Sure. No, I appreciate it. Um, I'm a financial coach and speaker. I'm the host of the Meaning Over Money podcast. And my business partner, Colnett, and I, we have a, a financial course for young adults where we try to teach young people how to do this money stuff better, how to do it different than maybe the culture is telling us how to do it. And so that's that's a short summary of, of what I'm up to. Great. And Travis has been, you know, very prominent within the clients that he helps, um, also on social media. Um, he has a podcast as well. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan. Um, I, I feel like, you know, us as podcasters need a good way of, you know, learning about each other's content. And I reached out to Travis specifically because he, on episode 11, which I'll put in the show notes, 
he talked all about, you know, does money buy happiness? And I felt like this was such a very relevant thing in, in today's society. And um, this episode is going to serve almost like a reaction and, you know, call uh, of what Travis shared um, just to dive a little bit further. So um, I'm just going to open up really quickly. Travis, does money buy happiness? Uh, absolutely not. Um, I, I think that, I mean, the studies show that money, buy, money buys happiness up until the point when our needs are met. And so if our needs aren't being met, then, you know, money does make us really happy. And, and I think what the studies show is that, you know, once our needs are met, it, the, the amount of, of positive correlation between happiness and money is pretty small. And, and that's something that I really think about a lot. And I really try to uh, impose on, on, the, the people that I have the pleasure of speaking to and coaching. Yeah. And I, I feel like, especially within the society that we have, you know, Travis and I are around the same you know age group. And, you know, one thing that comes to mind a lot is just the hyper consumer mentality that we have. I mean, you know, we could open up an app and have items shipped in, in, in two days. We can, um, you know, buy things online and have it imme- immediately. We can, you know, do in-store pickup. There's, there's a lot of ways that, We've done, and especially within you know COVID, has it certainly increased it. Um, I just feel like with the way society is now, we've we ha- we've almost forgotten about those basic needs. Um, do you see that a lot within your clients? I, I do, I do. And and one thing that's interesting about this whole money versus happiness, consumerism, where do we go with this? Is that it doesn't discriminate based on income. You know, I have clients that are entry-level teachers. They just graduated. They have their first teaching job. Business executives making six, seven hundred thousand a year. I've worked with some professional athletes, and we all battle these same things. And so, I think that's a fascinating concept because we often look at it and say, "Well, if I made more, or if I had more, this wouldn't be a problem." But my experience tells me that it will always be a problem until we decide it's not. Right. And you have a big spectrum of, of clients that operate their money differently. And I feel like the capacity of money, really the behavioral psychology of it doesn't change regardless of, you know, if you make $30,000 or, you know, $500,000. Right. It just, it, 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 you see the same tendencies, the same frustrations. I think where the confusion might come is because we often hear that tension in the folks that don't make as much money. Because when you make $30,000, $35,000 a month and you're unhappy and you feel the tension, you feel the pressure, and you, you realize you're one bad day away from having this whole thing crumble, that's embarrassing. And so people that have that struggle when they're high earners, they don't really feel like they can talk about that publicly or even with people, that, that are their loved ones. Because, I mean, if you're making $30,000 a year or $30,000 a month, you probably aren't going to talk about how money is a struggle when you're talking to somebody who makes 30,000 a year. And and so often this is kind of this little silent crowd over here. That's really, that's really battling because they've fallen into a trap. They don't know how to get out. And, and it's, it's a very real struggle that people are dealing with. It's so difficult because in in a lot of ways, it's more of the scarcity mentality versus abundant mentality. And you know, we, we have to figure out a way of identifying what are our basic needs and what is that threshold? Because um, we're going to talk about a lot of behavioral psychology pieces. Um, we're going to dive into the piece around the hedonic treadmill and 
um, things that we we typically see just from a happiness scale because they're really happiness is is immeasurable. I feel. Yeah, it's. It feels very fluffy, and I think that's why there's so much confusion and why we've spent so many millions of dollars trying to research it because it feels like this uh, the holy grail that that we can't that we can't quite get our arms around because we operate in our society as if money will make us happy, but I think deep down we know it won't. But we don't we don't know enough to shift gears. And so we continue to feed into the same behaviors in hopes that maybe that next promotion, or that next, you know, zero in our bank account will be the thing that gets us over the hump and will make us happy. And I've been there. Maybe you've been there, but man, I've been there. I have. And especially, you know, in our younger career, and we talked about a little of this in, in show prep, but, you know, when you start out in a career and you're, you're kind of grinding it out and, you know, you, you tend to, you know, operate at either an inflated lifestyle already or you, you, you're living on rice and beans or, you know, top ramen or <laughs> whatever it is. And as you scale your, your professional career and maybe get, gain more earnings, are you allowing the lifestyle to creep based upon your increase in income? Or are you still able to meet your needs based upon your salary five to 10 years ago? Yeah, and I, I think for a lot of people, we... I think we we're hard on people and when we, we look at them and we say they're doing it intentionally, but I think it's very unintentional. I think when we start to succeed, we look at those around us, our peers, the people that are maybe in similar positions or maybe the neighbors that we move into, we move next door to, they often will portray a certain lifestyle. And whether it's consciously or subconsciously, I think what happens is we say, well, that must be what I'm supposed to do. If I'm making this income, maybe I should go buy a car like they drive. And it's it, all of a sudden, it just happens and you don't even realize it. And, and so I, I think we're hard on people and saying, how dare you? Why would you do that? You're being materialistic. But I, I give people a little bit more grace on that. And I, I think this just happens subtly over time. It's kind of like boiling a frog. Yeah. It's just that one degree, right? That We'll tip it over. And I spoke a lot about this in a previous episode with a guest, Vivi Tan, around um, you know keeping up with the Joneses. And I feel like all of this also is encapsulated because there is this comparison gap that we as you know people tend to just inflate our lifestyle to meet a certain criteria of society. Yeah, and and I think the the problem isn't spending. I think. And I always say that the, the point isn't to spend less, the point is to spend better. And so I'm not one of those people that, that say, hey, you shouldn't get coffees and you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. It's really about, no, no, what's really important to you? And I, I think back to a client of mine and young lady just starting her career and she was pretty frustrated. And, and we got to talking and she said that her dream was to travel. And here we are a couple of years into her career and she's not traveling and she's frustrated and rightfully so, because that's what's important to her. But at the same time, she has a $500 car payment for a car she really doesn't care about. And she has this expensive rent for this place that she really doesn't even want to be and she'd rather be traveling. And so we get to talking and, and, and really what she admitted to me was she just felt like, well, she had to have this new reliable car. So she bought one and she thought she was supposed to live in this kind of apartment. So she got it. And so what we ended up doing is she ended up unraveling some of those decisions driving a more reasonable car that she didn't have debt on and, and living in it with a cheaper rent. And she started traveling to Europe many times a year. 
And so for her, it wasn't about spending less. It was about spending better. And her better is different than my better, which is different than your better. So it's really, I think it's about finding what adds the most value to our life and then going hard into that because that's where the materialism gets us and the, the consumerism and the marketing that's put on us is that we're told where to spend our money and, and often it's not where it would, it would add the most value to our personal lives. I love that piece about spending better because in a, in a lot of ways we, we tend to spend unconsciously on things that, that don't matter. Um, I don't know how many times I've gone on Amazon and just bought things just for the sake of buying it. But, you know, your words, Travis, are, you know, really resonating with me because I think all of us have been guilty of that in, in our past. Yeah, I know I have. Um, and I, I don't want to speak from the position of an expert. I speak in the position of someone who's lived these regrets and experienced that and realized the hard way often that, gosh, there's got to be a better way. No, agreed. And I, I think it's that recognition first is, is, is really the, break, the breakthrough or breaking point. You know, I spoke a lot of my history on, you know, getting laid off or, or you know, losing a job or, you know, anything of like other people hearing of maybe not having an emergency fund or not having a cushion. Those life events will happen. And I feel like if you tend to conflate your ideal consumerism, it's going to catch up with you. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So I do want to go through um, a piece, you know, to recap your episode 11, Travis, and you talked a little bit about the hedonic treadmill. Uh, I'm going to put the full study and, you know, many articles within the show notes. But in summary, it, it, they did a, a study back in the 1970s where they really looked at a study of happiness and at, at what, what level do you have to, you know, adapt to your situation, whether it be, you know, you know really scarce or, or really abundant. And one of some of their findings is that everyone has some form of baseline of happiness, regardless of what happens to them. And they did a few comparisons there. Travis, can you talk a little bit about your experience with the hedonic treadmill and how you talk to to your clients around that? Yeah, and I think I think there's some really great resources out there about this topic. And the studies are just so fascinating that we talked about on on our episode. I think really just to summarize, you know, every time life changes, whether that's really good for us or really bad, where it impacts us very profoundly in the short term, but then it kind of evens out and it just becomes the normal. And I just look back to you know, my own experience and I, I think I was making 42 grand a year when I graduated college. I had a great job. That felt like a million dollars to me. I lived in a dump of an apartment man, I felt rich. I was happy, man. I was, I felt like I was going to take over the world. And, and I, I compare that to fast forward many, many years. I was making several multiples of that income and I was living in this br uh, nice brand new house. And I can't tell you I was any happier. And I look at it and I didn't feel richer. I certainly, I certainly didn't feel richer. I felt richer financially when I was making 42 grand living in this dump of an apartment. And I, and I think it's that's the hedonic treadmill in action. And I think back to, I was blessed, blessed with some really great promotions over, over my career. My, my career really took off. And man, when I got those promotions, I was through the roof happy, through the roof happy. And I'm like, this is it. My life has changed forever. And two paychecks later, it was just the new normal. 
or some of those enormous bonuses in, in some of those good years that I'm so grateful for. The, the euphoria that you feel to get a big bonus lasts about a week. Once you figure out where it's going to go, and for us, a lot of it was, was to give it away. We just, generosity is it for us. But euphoria just settles out and then, okay, back to normal. And so I, I, I look at my own journey with that and I can see it in others and I can see it in, in how others are progressing in their career and their finances, marriage, parenting. And, and so I really just try to, to help them connect those dots in their own journey and realize the income isn't what's making them happy and the money in the bank or the money in the market in the car, the house, that's not making them happy. And, and so I think it's really, we each have to look at our own journey, connect those dots and see for ourselves and ask ourselves that question. I agree with that completely. And thanks for being so eloquent around that because I feel everyone goes through that struggle as they operate their daily lives. And, you know, for me, for me, for example, you know, I've, I've made a little bit more than you know my first job out of college, and you know that that first bonus or commission check, it is euphoric because you know you've <laughs> never come across this level of money before, and you're almost conditioned in a way where like is this the new normal, right? Um, but you just tend to just go back to wherever your baseline was. Yeah, and and I think eventually, so what happens is we get these promotions, and then we think, okay, this is it for us. Then it settles back into normal. And then we're waiting for the next one. And it feels in a lot of ways, we're, we're a hamster on the wheel. We're running as fast as we can and we think we're getting somewhere. And often we aren't. Now, are we becoming richer? If, if, if you're making more money and you're stockpiling, you're saving, or sometimes I would refer to it as hoarding to it at a point. Yeah, you're, you're going to be wealthy. That's going to happen. If you make good financial choices and you're doing those things, you will become wealthy. There's a reality there. The question is, will it really make you happy? And I'm going to say it won't. Now, it can do a lot of things for you. You can travel to cool places. You can drive nicer vehicles. There are cool things that happen when you have more money. Nobody can deny that. And they are fun and they can be a good thing. But if you're expecting that to be the thing that makes us happy, uh, it's... It's a, it's a, it's a, that destination is a sad place when you realize the happiness isn't at the end of that bank account. So I have a question. Let's say you do have a client, Travis, that all their basic needs are met, their food, their clothing, their housing, their transportation, and they do get a new job that pays more, but they're still in this mindset of either scarcity where that incremental change in income can make them drive more towards that purpose that you're illustrating. How do you get them to that point? I think the first step is, is recognizing that a money isn't going to buy us happy. is going to buy us happiness. It's just not. And if people can acknowledge that, because what we're not saying is that money is bad, but we are saying it will not make us happy. And so for me, it really goes towards the purpose. What are we trying to accomplish? And I always say, we just need to chase the meaning. We need to stop chasing the money. We need to chase the meaning. Now, often if we chase the meaning, there will be money there. Sometimes, not always, but we got to find the meaning. And if somebody finds a new job that they wake up every day and they're excited for what they're about to do, that's the win. And if it happens to pay more than the job they had before, that's a double win. And so I always just try to lean people in the direction of 
what will make you wake up every day excited for what you're about to do and, and make an impact on this world? And there are no good or bad jobs. There's good for me jobs and there's good for you jobs and there's bad for me jobs and there's bad for you jobs. But I think all work matters, but not all work matters to each of us. I, I agree with that because I, I feel like, especially within the, the money space that we're a part of online, on Twitter, on Instagram, there is this exodus of people that just want to run away from, you know, their job and, and hoard to, you know, run away to, to figure out and be, you know, leisure or figure out their, their, their purpose. Um, I subscribe to, you know, trying to identify that purpose while you're employed. And if you're at an employer that helps bring that out, to your point, that's a double win. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, I have a lot of people that ask me about, about my, my prior career. Cause I, I, before I was doing institutional real estate investing, um, I was in Europe and the middle East and it was awesome. It was a great career and I still miss it at times. And this whole notion that I would take a 90% pay cut for my family to go start over and do something else. The world thinks is insane. And, and maybe it is, but it's not that what I was doing wasn't good. It was that there was something better for, for me in this season of life that will help me wake up every day excited for what I'm about to do. And, and again, that work that I used to do, it matters. It still matters. And, and like I said, I miss it some days. There are things about it I really miss. But it's not about the money. It's about pursuing that meaning. And, and that was just my, my journey. And, and everyone has to find their own. And, and, and I hope not everyone's going to take a 90% pay cut. Um, like I did, but that was the right step for, for us, for our family. And that's a hard step to take when you have a wife that stays at home and you have two little toddlers, that's a hard step to take. But I so deeply believe in this idea of pursuing meaning over money that it, it just made sense for us. And I've had people since then, they've come to me and they've said, Hey, Travis, do you regret the decision? Do you regret it? And as I look back at the journey. The journey's been harder than I thought it would be. It's been harder. And, and I, I admit that. But I would be even more affirmed and I have even more conviction that it was the right thing to do. And I would have made that decision even more confidently knowing what I know now. And I'll encourage all the listeners to, you know, please subscribe to Travis's content, subscribe to his podcast, listen to his story's great. He's talked about how he's paid off 280000 you know, plus in debt. Um, he shared he's, you know, obviously done a 90% pay cut to, you know, do the work of his life now. And I feel like, you know, that's certainly admirable. And it's, 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 it's shocking when you read it, but when you hear Travis talk about it, man, like I'm, I'm, I'm pumped because it's, it's something that, you know, I think it's more of the purpose that you speak with such conviction. And I feel like not many of us have that. No, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, kind of circling back to this whole money and happiness and, and, if money doesn't buy us happiness, I really just, I wait to think about what does, what does, because we got to, we got to find it somewhere. And, and the thing that I always talk about and maybe going back to, you know, what do we talk about with our clients in, in speaking engagements, but going back to the behavioral science, there's really three things that I think really help people see this happiness journey. And, and there's three things, the behavioral scientists, they found lots of things that, that can help happiness, but there's three things that stand out. And, and, and what we just talked about really kind of will show like how it, it shapes me. But number one, it's work that matters. 
work that matters, waking up every day, like I said, excited for what you're about to do, that will create happiness. Number two, deep and meaningful relationships. And that's, that's obvious if you think about it, especially during the season of COVID where we've been separated. The need for relationships has never been greater. And so they, they figured out that, surprise, deep and meaningful, authentic relationships will drive happiness. And the third is my favorite, which I alluded to earlier, which is generosity. Which is funny because it's the opposite of what you would think. Because every time you give a dollar, you have a dollar less. But what they have found is it actually makes us happier because it's about something bigger than us. And I just love that piece. And so those are the three things that I always keep circling back to. And every time I question my crazy life decisions, I just keep circling back to the science of what really makes us happy. And I'm like, I think I got this right, but man, it's hard. (laughs) And I I think those are the three things that I resonate with a lot is work that matters, you know, the five people around you that have deep meaning in relationships, and then generosity. You know, going back to the work piece, I'm curious how you define work versus a career. I think I use it a little bit more, the, the term career loosely. I think the span of our working years is our career. From the time that we begin, maybe that's after high school, maybe trade school or college or whatever where that is, that's the beginning of a career. And now I, I, do, I, I don't really subscribe to the notion of, of trying to retire earlier, glorifying retirement. So for me, I, I feel like if I'm blessed to be able to work into my 70s and 80s, that's going to be awesome. I'd be so grateful. So my career will be from the time I graduated college to the time I no longer able to, to create meaningful work. And so I think a career, especially now with this younger generation, the old way of we get a job and then we try to grind out 30 years so that we can get that pension. I feel like those days are over. Mm -hmm. The pensions are definitely over, but I think this notion that it's linear is kind of out the window. And I have so many friends and colleagues and clients that are, are walking this out in their own journeys of, they're doing something and then they take a total 180 and then maybe a total 180 after that. I would define that as one career. It just looks different. It doesn't look linear and it doesn't look normal. And it's going to draw criticism and ire of those around us, especially those who we love the most, which is the hardest to take. But as long as they wake up every day excited for what they're about to do, that's the win. And I have people that ask me, Hey, Travis, how do you think you're, why do you think you're going to be doing this for the rest of your life? And, and I'll quickly say, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't be shocked if five years from now I wake up and I just feel called to do something totally different. And if I do, I'll do it. And it's going to be just as hard of a decision then as it was last time. But I so believe in this idea of waking up every day, excited for what we're about to do. I wouldn't be surprised if, if my career shifted, you know, many more times before I, I, I'm, I'm unfortunately unable to do it any longer. And, and that's so profound because I, I want to echo and, and really lean into that linear piece. You know, I, th- what we were taught going through college, right, Travis, like you got to get a job and eventually become a director or a VP and, you know, <laughs> climb the corporate ladder. But in today's era, there is no such thing as a ladder. It is not linear. You can move from different skill sets and career experiences into, you know, the work that you define as the work of your life. And, you know, I, if, if someone came to you tomorrow, Travis, and be like, do you feel like you're, you know, doing the work of your life? What would you say? Oh, 100% yes. 
and and I think if there's a lot of people out there that are considering this idea of shifting their career, but there's one heavy piece that I think is weighing on them, this idea that they'd be throwing away their career. And, and, and partly because people are telling you, you will throw away your career. And, and I had people close to me say, Travis, why would you throw away your career? And I would say, I'm not throwing away anything. I'm taking the next step. And, and one example of this that really caught me by surprise, uh, my wife and I, we were, we were in Asia, we were on our way home from Asia. And, you know, it's like 16 hour plane ride. And I said, hey, Sarah, I think I'm going to start writing. I said, I've always wanted to write. I'm in my, I'm in my mid thirties and I, I, I want to write. And I've never written. And I said, I'm probably going to suck. I said, I'm probably going to suck because I've never written. And, and but I, I want to try it. And so I said, okay, I'm going to commit this flight. And it was kind of like code for please leave me alone. Um, I want to write. And so I spent the plane ride writing and, and what happened was interesting. It kind of flowed out of me. Now, I don't know if it was good or if it was terrible, but it flowed out of me and I couldn't understand why I was like, I've never written. How is it so easy for me to write? And what I realized is my entire career was communicating with clients. I was managing hundreds of millions or billions of dollars for clients. My job was to communicate, which when your clients are overseas, it involved a lot of writing. And so this, this notion that we're throwing away our career, I think is ridiculous and short-sighted because there's so many aspects of what I used to do that have helped me get to where I'm at now. And if I didn't have those things then, and I didn't develop them over time, I wouldn't be who I am today, being able to serve my clients the way I'm serving them today. And so I think that ro mental roadblock of throwing away, quote unquote, throwing away a career, that's something we need to overcome because I, I think we're looking at it wrong. I agree, because what, what you've just demonstrated there, Travis, is that you had skills that you crafted and mastered doing you know, real estate and communicating and transferring that skill into what you're doing now with, you know, meaning over money. I, 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 I think that's so commendable. And whatever the next career is going to be after this or, you know, progressive after that, you'll take the skills that you, you created within meaning over money. Yeah, and I appreciate, I appreciate that. Um, and, I, I, and thank you for affirming that, too. Um, I think we need more people in our lives that will, that will you know, encourage that because I, I think so many of us have a lot of people that aren't. And so I, I appreciate that. It actually means a lot to me. Yeah, no, of course, man. Um, I, I do want to pivot to that second piece around, you know, what makes us happy. And you talked about relationships. And that has a, a very core piece. But, you know, I, I do want to talk also about hoarding relationships and, you know, the number of friends. You, you spoke really specifically on a handful of friends that bring meaning. And I, I do want to talk about one thing you brought up was you have people in your life that will still cheer us on when we're doing better than them. I'm paraphrasing, but is, 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 is that sound, sound right? Absolutely. Yeah. I, and I hear this a lot. This is one of the things that I talk about a lot with my coaching clients and they bring it up to me because when we are doing well financially or we're doing well in our career, all of a sudden we can't talk about it with people we love because jealousy comes out and hard feelings and resentment. And it's sad that we live in this world where, where I'll have a coaching client will say, Travis, you're the only person that we can talk about this with. You're the only person that will celebrate with us. And that's so sad. That's lonely. And, and, and so I love it when people 
do so well. And I have coaching clients that are doing better and they will continue to do way better than I will ever do financially in career. And I'm excited for them because it's not about me. And, and I've been blessed with some friends in my life that they, they mean so much to us. And I'm able to talk about my career and, and this stuff with them. And I've, I've done better financially than them. And they, they cheer me on. They encourage me. They love me despite that. And those are rare. And it's hard to put yourself out there like that because money brings out so many emotions in people. And so I, it's kind of a two-pronged thing. Number one, find yourself some friends that will love you and encourage you and support you and celebrate even when you're doing better than them. But then also be that friend that can love and encourage and support and celebrate those who are doing better than you. It's not easy. It's not easy. I struggle with it at times, but then I have to keep reminding myself it's not about me. And so I think that's something we need more of in our society. And, and I would just encourage people to seek those out because they're special. You know, one thing I want to add to that, Travis, is, you know, I, I try to subscribe to the notion of like never keep score. And, you know, I think especially within our transactional and, you know, Instagram meme culture, it can be a little tough because, you know, there is this trade off. And I feel like the one root of really good relationships is never keep score of when someone's doing better and you, or you're doing worse and you, you, you have to keep tabs on each other. I think that brings a lot of toxicity within a relationship. Yeah, totally. And it's, it's easy to let that get the best of you. And it's easy to point the finger at somebody and say, Hey, why won't you support me? Why, why won't you, why won't you this? Why won't you that? But sometimes we have to look in the mirror and realize Ugh, we, we might be just as bad or worse at it than them. So yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy. And, and I love your definition of not keeping score. I, I love that. Yeah, of course. Um, and then the last piece is around generosity. And, you know, you, you already talked about the inverse relationship of how that could be, you know, a piece. But I, I think, you know, I talked about it before where even just individually, one habit I've tried to garner is a gratitude journal and just recognizing that, you know, we are blessed to have what we have and striving for better. But in the sense of like creating that happiness, it does generate some better mood in me that I have throughout the day that helps me sustain I'm curious, you know, how you practice your own gratitude and generosity. I mean, a lot of it comes from the, the perspective that I'm a Christian. And, and, I, and I, I really believe that what I have is not mine. I believe I'm blessed. And I believe I have a responsibility to, to use what I've been blessed with for good. And, and I believe that we're asked to give joyfully and sacrificially because it's not, it's not about us. And I think the secret of giving that, that people don't talk about is that when we give, it's actually not about the person we give to. It's really about us. And I believe it's about, it's about, it's about our journey and, and our faith. And it's about, it's about us being able to, to realize it's a rec every time we give, it's a recognition that we are blessed. And, and so I would say for most people that giving is the best thing we get to do. And it's hard to get there because I wasn't always that way. I was selfish. I was greedy. And this wasn't that long ago. And I always say that we just need to practice generosity because when we get it right, something changes in us. Something changes. And for me, it was, it was a moment where I was at a, at a coffee shop and there was a couple of women in front of me. And 
at the time, I, don't, I wasn't generous at all. I would give very little and I would feel like I had changed the world and I was this super generous person. But there's these two women and I, I was hearing the conversation and it sounded like they didn't have money to pay for their coffee. I think they left their purse at the hotel. And so I stepped in. I said, hey, can I, can I, can I pay for this? I, I would love to pay for this for you. And this woman's like, no, 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 you shouldn't do that. And I said, please allow me. And this woman started crying. And I'm thinking to myself, it was just eight bucks. And, and I realized in that moment, there's something special about generosity that unites us, that connects us, that in a way that, that other things can't. And, and for whatever reason, that moment, that $8 or whatever it was, it changed me. And, and my wife and I have put generosity at the center of our marriage since then because there's nothing better for us. And it, it's part of it, part of it is because the science of happiness, because when we give, we do, we do become happier. We just do. And then part of it is the faith piece is that we, that we trust God. We, we, and it grows in our faith and our trust in God. So there's that Christian piece and then there's the behavioral science piece, but they both point to the same thing that generosity is just awesome. I love that story about the coffee and I'll share a recent example. Uh, I think we were getting fast food for the kids cause they were hungry and we were caught up in the generosity uh, cycle of the drive-through where it was a long line when we got to the first window to pay, they said, the car ahead of you paid for your meal. Would you like to do the same for the car behind you? And me and my wife looked at each other like, my God, that was amazing. Like, yes, we will pay, you know, and, and they have to confirm, like, are you okay with how much it is? I was like, no, it doesn't matter. And I think just having that abundance cycle where you feel, it, it, just, it just overall boosts your mood because not only does it make you happy, but you also not only given your resources, but you've given time and reflection to that other party. Totally. And, and I think, I think the real secret to generosity is to do it in a way that it's not about you. If you're doing it because you want the congratulations or the pat on the back or somebody to think differently about you, you've missed the mark. And, and, and I think when we do it in secret, we do it in a way that the person we're giving to can't possibly offer you anything in return. That's such a huge win. And um, I think back to, I, I was talking to a, a guy at my church who's now a close friend of mine. And I said, Hey, I want to start working with people. This is when I was doing coaching as a ministry. I said, I want to, I want to work with people that are struggling with money. I want to, I want to do some of these things, do some of these workshops, just help people do this money stuff better. And he said, that's great, Travis. One problem. He says, you've never given how can you talk to people about money when you don't give? And, and here, this is, this is funny and, and embarrassing. And at the same time, I said, I actually do give, but I only give in cash. And he said, why would you do that? You don't get a tax deduction if you give in cash. And I said, I realized that I said, I had to prove to myself that I have, I'm doing it for the right reasons. No tax deduction, no acknowledgement, no anything because I really believe my own heart that I would do it for the wrong reasons. And so I went several years of giving only in cash because I needed to prove to myself that I'm not doing it for the wrong reasons. And, and that, that might be an extreme way to handle it, but I was that selfish that I had to do that in order to get right with this generosity piece. And so we got to do it in a way that we can't possibly get anything in return. And I, I think that's, that's the hardest part about this and probably one of the more important pieces. Right. And I, I, I love what you said there because it, it, it was a 
I don't want to say a scar, but more so a, a very impactful moment that, you know, it, the intentions of people, you can only control your own, you know, w- within your four walls. And I feel like, you know, if we operate in that same level of service, it amplifies not only our mood, our happiness, but, you know, the irrelevance of, of resources such as money. You know, if we, if we anchor ourselves within those three pieces, work that matters, relationships, and just giving of ourselves, whether it be our resources and time, we're already winning. Yeah, and, and totally. And, and I think it all goes right back to the beginning premise of money doesn't buy happiness. And if money doesn't buy happiness, how about we use the resources that we're blessed to have to make an impact, to be generous with, to enjoy, because all that money is not going to make us happier. So let's make a difference. And, and that's really where I land on all this. And, and, and I'm, I'm, and I, I'm so proud of and grateful to watch people that I, I have the privilege of coaching, be able to walk out some of those principles. And it's beautiful when it comes together because it's something that, that you can't quite put your finger on until it happens. You know, I'm curious, you know, Travis, you, you left a, a successful, you know, commercial real estate career and pivoted to this. You made a lot of sacrifices. You, you cut your income and, and really had to build this business. And in exchange, your clients pay you money, right? They pay you money in the equation to grow your business and obviously contribute to your happiness. Has there been a lesson or value that your clients have taught you throughout this process as you were building out your business? I think empathy. I think there's so much life that happens. And and I kind of knew this early on, but I've really landed on this idea that money is never about money. It's always about something bigger. And so while I'm in these coaching meetings, we're talking about money some, but we're really not talking about money. It's always about something bigger. And I, I think um, you and I were talking about this off, off, off the air, but this idea that out of all the, the financial people in the world, I probably care about money the least. I really don't care about money because it's not about money for me. And so life happens and life can be hard. It can be amazing, but there's so much life being lived right now by so many people. And so this, this idea of, of having empathy for people wherever they're at, giving them grace and just loving them every step of the way. And, and a lot of my clients always say, my job's never to tell you what to do. It's to show you something different, help you understand it. And then whatever you decide to do, walk alongside of you to help you achieve what's important to you, to achieve your dreams and your goals. And so I think this idea that it's always about something bigger, they've taught me that. And, and I think we all need more grace and we all need we all need more love, and I think we all need more people walking alongside of us because this life stuff's hard. Well, you know, thank you, Travis, for being such a good shepherd in that. And I feel that there's, um, you know, this episode encapsulates a lot where, you know, money, you know, doesn't buy happiness. There, there are other things that you should anchor yourself. I mean, yes, it can provide wealth and everything like that. But to your point, is where where is the root? Money is not always about money. There's always this psychological barrier that you need to figure out your purpose and vision with your life. And I just appreciate you sharing that with us. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really grateful that you brought me on and it's been fun to get to know you. So thank you so much. This was, this was a lot of fun. No, of course, Travis. And, um, you know, as we exit here, can you, can you just share where people can find you and, you know, f- find a little bit more about, you know, meaning over money? 
Well, sure. Yeah. Obviously the meaning over money podcast, you can find us wherever, wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, you can find meaning over money or me, Travis Shelton on Instagram, uh, travisshelton.com. And then meaning over money, our financial course for young adults is at meaningover.money. Well, thank you, Travis. Appreciate you staying up late um, as our, hopefully our boys are sleeping at this point. <laughs> I hope uh, so. <laughs> yeah, I hope so too. And um, no, we got to do this again. Uh, you know, I, I would love to be on yours as a, as a selfish plug, you know, in, in a future episode as well. And uh, let's just keep the, the money conversations going, man. Appreciate it so much. Take care. All right.